Get out your Bibles. We'll be in Second uh, Timothy uh, chapters four and one and three. We'll be in Second Timothy basically. <laughs> and if you're new with us, you have an outline in your packet of materials. Uh, we ask to have it digitally, digitally at newbreak.church, so you can do it either way. But just so you can take notes and follow along. Uh, this morning is one of my favorite subjects ever. It's the subject of discipleship, uh, as we are in this series on cultivating relationships that are. Christ-centered and in order to change our world. And, and you heard about kingdom builders in here. Uh, you guys all have opportunities all the time in which God wants you to disciple. Now, that word can be a little bit, I don't know, I don't know if the word is scary or uh, a bit esoteric. So I want you to say something with me. Say this, discipleship is influence. Okay? Do it again. Discipleship is influence. Now, that's true in the general sense, but it's also true in the specific sense. It's true in the general sense of where you work and where you live and where you play, but it's also true in your family system and in your family of origins and in the the family in which, by God's sovereignty, He puts you into this particular family. But it's happening all the time. It's actually viral And my goal today is to sort of enlarge our vision to see it and then walk in it. It happens all the time, like literally every day in your life. It's just that we don't really see it necessarily. Uh, So, for example, this past week, one of our Kingdom Builders endeavors, we give thousands of dollars away to a church planting organism called uh, Church Multiplication Network, CMN, we call it. And I'm on their board. I'm on their leadership team. So we do this nationally. Last year, we planted over 300 churches in America, just in, uh, you know, America. Uh, Obviously, many more than that around the world, like Liberia and so forth. But anyway, I was out in the desert this week. And I had brought a church planter with me. It was a conference. I brought a church planter with me named Luke, and we're collaborating with him to plant a church in Elisa Viejo. And then I had this buddy who's the, he's the vice president of marketing for the bank that funds a lot of our church planting efforts uh, there who funded us buying this mall and whatever. And uh, anyway, it's, the bank's called AGFS, and he's the vice president of the bank. Anyway, we were all together at this conference, and then we were in the desert. And how many of you know it was cold this week? It was really funny because all these people flew from all over America to Palm Desert. And they, like, didn't bring the right clothing. It was cold, man. And anyway, I didn't really have the right clothing either. Uh, but I had my beanie and my peacoat. And anyway, so it was, it was late that night. I was tired. And, but there's outside of the hotel rooms, it, it's kind of a uh, mid-century hotel vibe there where we stayed. And they have uh, fire pits in the middle of the quad, basically, outside. And so it was dark and cold, but we, they wanted to sit. So I said, okay, we'll sit around the fire for a little bit. So we're sitting around the fire. And they asked me questions about my cancer and what's going on. And so, because, uh, you know, they wanted an update. I kind of keep these two guys up to date, but not quite yet last week. So 
they were asking me questions about it, and I was kind of talking about it. And then these two gals and a guy come walking up, and they say, hey, can we share your fire? And I said, of course, you can share our fire. So they sat down, and they're involved in a conversation. And I could tell they were all three together, and, and, and they could tell we were all three together. So my conversation kind of ended, and their conversation kind of ended. And they said, they said, hey, so why are you guys here? What's the deal? And I said, well, uh, I think I did it this way. I asked, okay, so I've already, I, we got names, okay? So it was Jen, Sophie, and Pat. Pat's the guy. And, and so Jen, I think it was, asked, hey, so what, what are you guys doing here? And I said, I said, well, I go, actually, can I, can I ask you a question, Jen? She goes, yeah. And I go, do you go to church? And she goes, no. Um, and she answered it in such a fashion that I could say she's probably never been in church. And I said, oh, well, actually, what we're doing here is we're church planters. And she said, you're what? <laughs> and I said, we're church planters. And she said, well, what, do you, what, do you, what does that mean? What do you do? And I said, well, we plant churches. Like last year, we planted 300 churches, whatever, in America. And she's like, huh. She, and then I think Sophie uh, asked, well, how do you pick the community in which to plant a church? And I said, that's a great question. And uh, uh, by the way, what Sophie does, she's kind of a marketing person, uh, which is be natural for her to ask that question. So she's kind of a marketing person, and she actually is currently trying to get uh, a program into UCSD. And, and anyway, so... So I said, well, what we do is we go in and listen to a community. We see what their divorce rates are, what their addiction rates are, what the, you know, listen to all the schools. We kind of listen long to the needs of a community. Then we, then we come alongside of that community and build outreaches and ministry to come alongside of that community to make it better, like we do in Tierra Santa. This is essentially the why of why this campus is in Tierra Santa. This is why we do, this is what we do everywhere. Just FYI, okay? That's why we that's how we came to Tierra Santa. Everybody always wonders, how did you get to Tierra Santa? It's like a cul-de-sac community, you know. Uh, you bought a strip mall? I mean, whatever. Uh, but, so I explain all this to them, and they're like, huh. And I go, what are you guys doing here? And they said, oh, we're all in addiction recovery programs. And I said, huh. I go, that's cool. And so I asked them some questions about what they do. And uh, Jen, the gal across from me, she is a marketing. She is marketing for another organization. Pat lives in upstate New York, and he is a bridge between families with addiction issues and institutions. So that's what he does. Anyway, these people were flying from all over America to do addiction stuff. And I said, oh, we, have you ever heard of Celebrate Recovery? And they go, yes. And I go, okay. So that's like a Christian church-based ministry that we have in, I think we have it in three of our campuses, I'm not sure, is what I said to them. But it, like, like that's super cool. Well, then Andy, the vice president of the bank, he picks up the conversation and he, and he starts to compare and contrast. He says, so we actually have a lot of things in common. By the way, I'm giving you so much insight into Discipleship 101 right here. Seriously, okay? Like I'm just, I'm just injecting you. Okay, so he says, he says, we actually have a lot of things in common. We both believe in a higher power. And they go, oh, yeah, we totally believe in a higher power. But ours, our higher power is very defined for us. It's actually Jesus. It's actually our Father in heaven. And so in our recovery process, it's just a bit different because we actually experience and expect the, mir the miraculous in our recovery process. 
And you could tell, man, these dudes are like on the edge of their seat. They're like, what? And then, and then I said, yeah, like a lot of what we do as Christ followers is we actually learn to listen to God. We actually are involved with him. I mean, he actually speaks to us and we follow his leading. And they're just like, whoa. <laughs> My point is, is this, this, this went on for like 40 minutes, maybe 45 minutes of Q&A and talking about Celebrate Recovery and what they do and their approaches to recovery and how we approach recovery. And trust me, they had never met nor talked with any of you who were able to articulate what I just said in their lives. Now, I would guess, I would guess them to be roughly 35-ish. So they're 35 years old. They live in America. They've never met us and had us articulate to them why we exist as a church and what we do. They only hear where we go to church, which is an interesting development and evolution of the English language. When we began to start to, as Christ followers in church history, start to say we go to church rather than what we do as the church. I just want you to ponder that. You can Google this later and kind of think about it. But, but you and I, are we have kind of our standing marching orders. And it does use the word disciple. I'm going to show you Jesus' statement with regard to this as it relates to his last words in the gospel of Matthew. He comes to him and he says, look, guys, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on the earth. Now, I want you to go. And by the way, in English, it doesn't come across. Uh, this word go and make, they're actually uh, you know, present active participles. They're actually, it literally would be translated going and making. You're never done with this. Like those of you who choose to go to Solomon Islands missions trip, you're going to go there. I'm just saying, you're always going. You are always doing this if you get what I'm saying. Why is it that Sophie and Jen and Pat have never heard anybody articulate the why of biblical Christianity? Because we're not leaning into this. Now, I'm not saying you personally. I'm sure you're a rock star uh, and whatever. I am just saying we do not necessarily know how to articulate the why. Simon Sinek, TED Talk. You've never, how many of you have seen the TED Talk, Simon Sinek, on the why? Raise your hands. Oh, my gosh. Okay, write it down. Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, one of the most powerful business TED Talks you'll ever watch in your life. It'll change your life. It has profound spiritual implications to it. I don't know what his faith is or whatever. I'm just saying, Simon Sinek. How many of you lead teams? Lead teams. You lead people. You have employees. Okay, a lot of you do. You need to show them this video. It'll change your team effectiveness. I'm telling you, you you'll never exhaust it. You could show it once a year. We need to understand the why of what Jesus is saying. He says, therefore, going and making disciples. Now, disciple means literally, mathetes means disciplined one a disciplined follower of Jesus, okay? A disciplined follower. You're making disciples. This is what you're doing. You're going all the time, and you're making all the time disciples, and, and then you're going to baptize them. Okay, last year we baptized 100 people, whatever. So you're going to baptize them. Some of, you bapt some of you are called. You don't have to bring them to New Break to baptize people, by the way. You can baptize them. But Pastor Mike, I'm not a pastor. Sean, did you just baptize your neighbor? Yes, you just baptized your neighbor. Now, he texted me, and he asked me the instructions. 
and then he read them off of his iPhone. <laughs> but the instructions I gave him are here. I said, well, when you baptize him, baptize him because now that you believe in Jesus Christ and have begun your relationship with him, I now baptize you in the name of the what? And the... Now you are all equipped to baptize. You are. This is it. In Acts 1, the next scene, we already looked at it like a month and a half ago. Acts 1, he says, don't leave anywhere. Stay here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be my witnesses. And then he gives you the strategy of your life. Jerusalem, this is Acts 1.8. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. What's the next one? Samaria. And then what's the next one? Solomon Islands. Okay? And, and I just want to say, like, it, it, it's all, look, this is our vision statement for our church, but this is, this is you. Your goal in life, no matter what you do, is to develop Christ-centered leaders who change their world. This is, this is what I've given my life to. Why are you breathing? This is why you're alive. How many of you want to change your world? Raise your hand. You get to decide. There are two girls and the guy. They want to change their world. They just don't have the completed idea yet. They don't have the full truth of what they're trying to actually accomplish, which is why they were so hungry and so interested. And, and that is the deal. Now, I just want to throw out these, this biblical idea because you're Jerusalem, okay? Jesus is talking geography. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm just saying, you're Jerusalem, from a microcosm level, is actually your family. It's actually your family. The family is the system. It's the fundamental discipleship relationship. It's, it's the, it's the, it's, it begins in Genesis, and it unfolds throughout church history. How many of you have grandparents who are alive? Raise your hands if you have grandparents who are alive. I, I don't, actually. <laughs> but but this, is, this is your family system is, is what is the core idea of your influence and discipleship. Now, some of you, uh, I, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but some of you have messy families like I do, and so it's complicated. Now, we could compare notes and see whose family is messier, but trust me, I think I'd probably win right now. So whatever. Like, like you can't give up on the biblical basis of the way in which the primary core in which uh, discipleship happens. But it's not just family. It, it, we'll see it as we go. It, it's also, it's family. We're going to look at Timothy and Paul. We're going to look at Timothy's family, okay? So yes, it's family, but it's broader than that in terms of family and the body of Christ. And then it's broader than that in the sense of you walk in a particular vocational environment. And everybody in that place is created in the image of God, the imago Dei. They all have the image of God in them. Those two girls and that guy, Pat, they all have the image of God in them. In fact, they're actually trying to live this out. I mean, they've given their whole lives to it. Jen, uh, the middle gal that was right across from me, she was slamming heroin in her left arm and her right arm and her feet. I asked her some questions about it. You know, she was slamming heroin. She and Sophie were celebrating six years clean. Yeah, give it up for them. Six years. 
it was like it was like sitting in the presence of God without them really knowing it. You know, you know what I mean? Like it was it was just trippy. Now let's go in the Bibles. Go to chapter four of Second Timothy, because I want you to understand the context by which Paul writes. Okay, Second uh, Timothy chapter four. Paul's writing to Timothy in the church at Ephesus. Paul's about to die. He knows that he's about to die. He's in the Mamertine prison. This is at the end of his life after it, uh, his, basically his fourth missionary journey. He's, he's writing to Timothy, who's now, he was younger, and now he's a little bit older, but still having issues with regard to his insecurities, and he's pastoring in Ephesus, a church that Paul planted. Paul's at the end of his life, and he writes this, and notice how he speaks of his life. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, very rabbinic, very first century temple worship statement, but he sees his life as this offering, like you. See what I mean? You either see your life as an offering or you're just doing life. And the time for my departure is near. Notice how he talks about death. He's going to die a brutal death. He knows he's either going to die in the arena or being crucified because that's how everybody, all the Christians were killed under Emperor Nero. Some were put on poles and uh, drenched with a, a fuel-like substance and then history, Josephus, others tell us they were then lit on fire and burned at the stake to light Nero's garden. Okay? My time for departure is near. And then look what he says. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. What's that day? That's the day of judgment. Now, Christians do not go through a day of judgment for heaven or hell because we're saved by grace through faith. But we're saved by grace through faith in order to do the works that God prepared in advance for us to do. The reward in heaven, your experience in heaven, now this is a larger truth I don't have time to develop, it's just that he's mentioning it here. He says, look, he'll, he's going to award me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. He's talking about what you and I do with discipleship and grace in our lives for the kingdom of God, that somehow eternity is going to be affixed to your stewardship. And every day you are, you are sort of, uh, you know, uh, venturing forward and preparing for what you are going to be and do in heaven. This is a biblical reality. You can study that on your own. It's another great subject, though. And, and Paul's pouring out his life for these purposes so that his heaven-like experience will be amazing. How many of you want to have an amazing experience in heaven? Raise your hands. You get to decide again. You get to decide. It's not heaven or hell, but it's something of what your experience in heaven is going to be attached to. A bit of a mystery, but it is biblically reality. Now look, go back to chapter 1. I want to read what he says to Timothy specifically. Not that, I mean, all this is to Timothy as well as to the church at Ephesus. So he says, to Timothy, my dear what? My dear son, which begs the question, who are your sons and daughters in the faith? Now, he means this literally in terms of your family, if you have been blessed to have kids, whatever, but he means it in general, too, because uh, Paul is a single man, and he has no kids that we know of. Many believe that he was married, 
because it was literally impossible to be a rabbi in the first century and not be married, which, of course, he was a rabbi. I mean, arguably still is in his current context. He's a rabbi in just in a Christian context. Um, he's educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, highly, highly unlikely. But whatever, he's single, has no kids, so he refers to Timothy as his son. The point is, is that you and I are to be like a boat crossing across the harbor, the wake of which is people. This is the will of God for you. And not just people, people who you have impacted for Jesus, like people who are closer to Jesus because of your life. And then he has a kind of classic greeting, grace and peace to you, uh, you know, in the Father and in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. Now, hear me. We know Paul elsewhere talks a lot about his mess. He's not saying he's perfect. Paul's not perfect. Who's the only person who is ever perfect? Jesus, not you. Not me, not Paul. It's just that he lives a current faith, okay? So he's living a current faith. As night and day... And here you have one of the classic components of discipleship. As, here, uh, as night and day, I constantly remember y'all, it's plural there, in my prayers. Just thought I'd throw that in. Um, recalling your tears, he may have in, in his mind the scene on the shore of the elders at the church of Ephesus where Timothy is, uh, where they cry because they're not going to see Paul again. It's maybe that scene so that I may be filled with joy. And then he says something about biological family. He says, and uh, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandma Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So he talks about the power of family. He talks about the power, power of discipleship in family. And he's pointing to this kind of axiom. The most important thing we do in life may not be something we do, but someone we raise. In fact, I would argue that that really is kind of the deal. Uh, because even if you build a great company, it's really about the people that you raise. You, are, you know you are going to die, right? Raise your hand if you know you're going to die. If you don't, you know, maybe we could talk after. Uh, but, but really, your life, your legacy is going to be the people who you have impacted. That's what his whole point in you. And his mom and his grandma had this, had this power in Timothy. Now, they're Jewish. I'll, we'll show you that in a minute. They're Jewish. So they raised Timothy up in a Jewish home, but they have this impact, and then they both become Christ followers. So it's this kind of way of viewing their lives. And it's the power of family. Like, this is a picture of my five-year-old grandson, Holden, who is obviously learning to smile. It doesn't come naturally to hold in. Uh, this is his smile. It's actually a very good smile. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, I was in Austin, Texas, and I got to go to his, um, uh, what do you call it, open house. It's the first open house. He's a kindergartner. First open house of his life. And so I went there, and I got to go to his open house. It was super cool because it's what I call the power of gramps. Now, I happen to have biological grandchildren. You may not. It's just the power of gramps. It's the power of 
life on life. Like you have children in our church, you have children in your world that need you to show up for stuff. It's powerful. What are they going to remember? They're kindergartner. They're going to remember, if, if you out yourself, if you walk in this anointing, they're going to remember that this old dude who loves Jesus came to my open house or my little league game. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, I don't really care. It's not the point. It's the power of gramps. This is true in our church. Some of you are called into children's ministry, and you've been fighting this for a month or a year. I was talking to a guy in the last service. He's been fighting it for three years. It's thick as a brick. How many of you relate? Right? It can often be thick as a brick. It's, it's just the way God sees it. It's what He does. And we have to seize the opportunities. They're all around us. They're coming at us at the speed of light. Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy all over in this letter, this pastoral letter about how to be. He says, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know from who you've learned it. This is the power of tribal ministry. This is the power of discipleship. This is the power of, of kind of walking in it. Uh, uh, my uh, son sent me this Instagram post that one of his mentors sent to him. I thought it was, I, I was struck by it. It says, the statue of the son was made from pieces removed from the statue of the father, representing what parents do to build their lives of their children. Isn't that a cool imagery? Like family of origins, neuroplasticity, plasticity, spiritual, you know, pneumatology, spiritual reality. It's all, it's all there in us. And, and we have this charge, you guys, as people on the earth. We have this charge, and that is to raise up a generation to build on the generation before. This is how, this is how it works. It's always worked this way. It's just that we don't necessarily get it. We just go to church rather than be the church. We just go to a worship service rather than do worship in life. Paul, in Romans 12, he'll define worship very clearly. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Give your life to a life of worship. Then you will know what the will of God is, His perfect and pleasing will. You'll, you'll, you'll get this in you. Where does Paul meet Timothy? It's a God moment. It's in Lystra. It's in Acts 16. He comes to Derby. This is, by the way, Turkey today. Comes to Turkey, a couple of cities, where a disciple named Timothy lived. And here you get the insight. Whose mom was Jewish, but his dad was a Greek. What does Paul mean? His mother's Jewish, of Jewish origin. His dad is Greek, so he's a, multi, he's a polytheist. He knows many gods and consequently doesn't know any god at all. He likely, we don't know the story, but he likely never becomes a Christ follower. I don't know. I'd like to think that Timothy has a profound influence on him, as does his wife. But, but anyway, he, his mom's Jewish, and, and Paul meets him, and the believers, the church in Lystra, which he'd planted on his first missionary journey, they spoke highly of Timothy already. So he comes along, if you will, in his faith journey, likely influenced by his grandma and mom, Lois and Eunice. And then Paul wants to take him along on the what? On the journey. This is what God's will is for you. He wants you to take others along on the journey. Well, Pastor Mike, I'm not 
perfect. I'm a mess. Get over it. It's not that God doesn't care. It's just that He accepts you right where you are. And He knows that part of your spiritual maturation can only take place if you will start to take others along on the journey. It's impossible for you to grow spiritually and not be engaged in the mission of Jesus. That is a complete misunderstanding of the New Testament. I cannot tell you how common it is in the church in America. It is extremely uh, common in the church in America for people to think that they can grow in Christ by getting a bunch of Bible stuff in their head. This is classic seminary, by the way. I've been to a lot of them. I've taught at them. It's classic. I'll go get a degree and that'll make me a man or a woman of God. Eh, not so much. Well, are you saying graduate school is bad, Pastor Mike? No, I have lots of that. I'm just saying if you do that without being missionally engaged, you're just, getting, you're just becoming an egghead. What do eggs do when they hit the concrete? Just thought I'd throw it out. Anyway, that's the point. <laughs> this is the deal. Like, for example, I have this couple on Saturday nights. They're amazing. Doug and Sharon. They're faithful as the day is long. They serve in hospitality. Obviously, that's the color of our hospitality team. And they're, they're anchors in our hospitality ministry on Saturday nights. But they're holding a grandchild. So what's the grandchild going to grow up seeing? Not just them going, them doing, them being. This is the will of God for you. What are you doing? What are you being? And let me tell you, I'm going to prophesy into your life right now. The children in your world are watching. And by children, I don't just mean kids. I mean the children, spiritually speaking. They're watching you communicate your faith every day, all day. They, they can't help it. It simply happens by virtue of you being in their world. My point is, what are you communicating? What is, it that you're, what is it that you're telling them following Jesus means? What are you telling them that being a Christ follower means? What, what are you articulating? What's the systematic theology that you're building into your coworkers, into your neighbors, into the people around you? What are you doing? This is the reality, and biblical truth is key to it. We have to saturate our homes, I mean this exclusively and loosely, and lives with biblical truth. Biblical truth. The Bible's got to be central, okay? It, it just has to be core to us. It, it must be. It is for Timothy. It's been his life, his whole life, because he had the blessing of growing up in a Jewish home. And the, the Jews just were gnarly on Scripture. I mean, they were amazing. The whole process of bar mitzvah and so, so forth. He, liked, he did not go through bar mitzvah, uh, Timothy. He did not go through the Jewish catechetical process, uh, we know this from the larger compass of Scripture, but he, he just didn't, um, not the least of which is he was not circumcised, and uh, he gets circumcised later in order to be a good witness to the Jews, not because of any need for circumcision uh, theologically, but just thought I'd throw that out there. Go ahead and Google right now circumcision. No, don't, don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> I'm just playing with you, okay? okay? Hang on, hang on. But Timothy grows up in a Scripture-based home. And then he becomes a Christ follower. And then at this time, obviously, the New Testament's being written. And so he, he just continues to develop in this regard. The Bible has to be core, okay? It has to be core. You got to get it in you. It can't just be quotes in your head. It's got to get into your hearts. It's got to go the, whatever, 12 inches journey 
from head to heart. Probably depends on how big you are. For you, it's like 15 inches. Whatever. It's, it's got to go there. It's got to... The psalmist writes, I've hidden your word not in my head. Where? In my heart. And there's millions of ways to do this, you guys. Like, And I, you know, again, I, I don't do this perfectly, but this past week, again, I could be thick as a brick, but I found out in version, because a lot of us are on version, and we're doing the devotional interconnectedness. Is that what it's called, Marcus? Interconnected. I found out that I could pick a verse from my devotionals and make a picture. And I'm an artist. I... I am. I, another subject for another day. But look, okay, I am struggling with cancer, okay? I've been struggling with cancer for a long time, but now again, the prostate cancer. So here, look at what, it, look at what Paul says. Uh, but you should keep a clear mind even when you get cancer. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Now, let me just throw out an idea. Are you just suffering... Or are you suffering for the Lord? What is the nature of your suffering? Like, like the why. Like, why are you in pain? Likely, 70% of you are going through some kind of suffering. That's just normal. Why are you suffering? Are you suffering or are you suffering for the Lord? And then notice what he says. Here's the why. Simon Sinek. Here's the why. Work at telling others, Timothy. This is the fire pit. This is the fire pit. You're going to be in a fire pit. You may be in a fire pit this afternoon. How many of you are going to work tomorrow? Poor people. No. Here's, here, I'll turn Mondays into a great thing. Give them the why. What's Paul say to Timothy. Work at telling others the good news. You know what this word is in the Greek? Euangelion. Euangelion. Evangelize. We get the word evangelize from it. It literally, euangelion literally means good news. The two girls and the guy at the fire pit, they were hearing the best news they've ever heard in their life. They were hearing the possibility of the miraculous crashing into the recovery process. It's the best news they've ever heard. Think of the power of that. And that's why we just have to find ways to do it. Like, find moments in our lives to, to make pictures and send them to people. Post them on Instagram. Uh, you know, just use them. Like, when somebody asks you, I don't know, what you did last night, you could show, tell them, well, I watched the news. I um, did what, cleaned the dishes. I actually made this picture because I'm an artist. And blah, 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 Right? So look, I asked Pastor Sarah if she would come up. She's our family pastor. Give her a hand. <laughs> and I just want to talk with her for a second about the power of Scripture and kids ministry and yeah. your life. And oh, thank you. Yeah, power of Scripture um, it was some advice I got as a young mom, which was great, was to get caught in God's word. Oh, Let yeah. your kids see you and get caught in God's word. And so when my kids were little, I would do that on purpose. So I'm a morning person, and I would read... God's word in the morning, and if they weren't up, I would go about my day, but the second I heard their feet hit the ground, I'd run back in and jump in bed and be like, yes, hi, everyone. So my kids knew that I was reading God's word every day. Well, contrast that with my husband who read it at work. They assumed that daddy didn't read the Bible. 
what? Well, no, we had to clarify that. Such but, a heathen. But you know what family he was reading it? You know which family did catch him? His work family. Yeah. So then, you know, when we talk about family, we have this family, too. Sure. So I thought that was so cool. But we did clarify that with our own kids that, yes, Daddy does read his Bible. So really good ways to do that. And, you know, when you're thinking about that and reading it yourself, you have a greater way of impacting the people around you. And it's a great conversation starter. You know, you can put scripture on post-it notes or three-by-five cards around your house and talk about that when your kids are little. Read a children's Bible with them. As they get older, one of the things I love to do is now I read things and I go, I just read this today. I forgot about that story. What are your thoughts on that? It opens up conversation. And so if you start that with their little or with whoever's around you, you can continue that conversation. Yeah, like my art project, um, I texted that to s several people, my kids, I texted my kids, I texted to mm -hmm. uh, some other people because I just found that verse really compelling. And yeah. so that's cool. By the way, we're doing this seminar. Tell them about this. Uh, yes, coming up March 21st, we are doing a Creating a Media Safe Home Parenting Seminar. Uh, media can distract us and as adults and get in the way of being relational, intentional with the people around us. And this is specifically happening in our homes as well. And so this is twofold. This is how can we be better stewards of our media and our time and our relationships, but then how can we also create a safe space for our children um, so that they are growing and navigating media. So yes, definitely come and, and check and that Tommy out. And you and Tommy are doing this. Tom, my husband, and I are both leading so that. So we send them to Homeward, yes. uh, which is a training organization that resources, like tons and tons of resources, uh, Jim Burns, right, and yes. the whole team. Mm -hmm. And then they equip her, and then she comes back and equips us. That's the yeah. discipleship process there. So I really want you guys to cordon that off and mark that off. Yep. And uh, if you're interested in getting involved in kids' ministry, she'll be at the... I'll be outside. Come outside? see me on the patio. Yeah, oh, right here by the blue tent. Just by the turn blue left. tent. Yeah. All right. Give her <laughs> a hand. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Now, just, just one more thing about the joy. This will give you joy at work when you get to call out the gifts in people. Paul's doing it here for Timothy in chapter 1. You know, he's, he's reminding Timothy because he's insecure, and he's such an encourager. You, you all, I get there's a spiritual gift of encouragement. I would just encourage you to continue to encourage and find the joy there. Like, like in Newbreak, just on this campus, we have 270 d unique people who volunteer in ministry. They volunteer in kids, they volunteer in students, whatever. In a couple of weeks, on February 23rd on this campus, this is exclusive to Tierra Santa, we're going to have a special weekend. These friends of mine, Darren and uh, Jane Poley, are coming for the weekend. They're going to speak on relationships. Uh, but from 4 to 6, Darren's going to also speak there, and it's a time for me to encourage you and build you up and for you to come. We're going to have uh, the Tacos Gordo, whatever it is. That dude's going to come and barbecued the tacos outside, and then we're going to have the room set. Am I doing that wrong? Is it taco? Okay. Tacos Gordo? Al Gordo? L. L. You can tell Spanish is my first language. <laughs> I'm just saying. Imar's making fun of me back there. Tacos El Gordo. And anyway, they're going to be outside, and we're going to have tables in here. We're all going to eat together, and we're going to just be encouraged and equipped, and we're going to fan into flame the gifts that we have. Because look, whether we choose it or not, we are influencing the next generation. Like right now, we have over 50 students and a team of adults. We have 23 adults involved in student ministry on this campus, but this is 14 of them because I wanted a picture to show you. Uh, right now, we have like all these people at the town and country at a youth convention. 
uh, some of us paid and scholarship kids to go to this event. And thank you for doing that. But, but uh, they're all having an experience with God right now. And these are the places where in a student's life, I didn't do this, I didn't grow up Christian, but in a lot of, I've heard <laughs> and I've experienced it, like people who do, they go to these things called youth convention, they experience God there, and many of them go back in time, they go, hey, that was the event that I gave my life to Christ. Hey, that was the event that I felt called into the ministry. Hey, that was the event that caused me to be more missionally minded. Some of them uh, go into missions as a result of it. Some of them choose moral purity as a result of it. They make all kinds of spiritual decisions at this thing. And, and I want to pray for them in just a second, but I just want you to imagine for a second your life. Imagine what you're going to do in your life as you disciple people in the campfires of your life. Because I'm telling you, the campfires are constant. You know, Jane and Sophie and uh, Pat, okay, so I'm getting cold, you know, it's, it's later. And I, I say to the group, you know, go, hey, I got to go to bed. And uh, so I'm going to leave. And then Andy, the VP of the bank, he goes, hey, before you go, I'm wondering if anybody needs prayer for anything. Boom, the banker. <laughs> Jen, the one who'd been six years sober, clean and sober, you know, she says, actually, that's actually when I found out she and Sophie were six years sober, as I recall. She shares it, and she says, but right now, we're at this conference on addictions, and I just need clarity. And, I, and they'd already heard my cancer stuff. I said, so do I. And then Andy then closes us in prayer around the fire pit. It was like such a God moment. Let's, let's commit to listening to the Spirit. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes, okay? Lord Jesus, we do. We, we commit to this, to listening to your Spirit. God, we get so distracted and caught up in our own busyness and worries and anxieties and fears. Lord, help us to have courage, Lord. You, you spoke through Paul to Timothy, in fact, in the, the epistles. You said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but a spirit of power of love, and of compassion. So God, I pray that you will baptize us afresh in that reality right now in Jesus' name, in this room. You will help us, Lord, to see you didn't give us a spirit of fear. You gave us a spirit of courage and power. You gave us the Holy Spirit in order that we could live our lives listening, being led by your Spirit, walking in the steps of your Spirit. And God, not only us, we pray for everybody in our lives, including the children of this church and the students of this church. God, that right now in that town and country convention hall, Lord, you would come afresh and fall afresh on them and all these students. There are 3,000 of them in one place. Imagine what could happen if 3,000 people became Christ followers and got filled with their spirit all in one place. Lord, it is literally the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2 again. God, may that be the case. May our students come back to us full of your spirit, full of your ways, listening. But help us, Lord, because they're watching us. They're watching us. So bless us to that end. We give you all the glory and all the praise, and we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Now look, if any of you...